Hi there, Scott Hamilton, Rockfile, back with another podcast, and this one is a little different. It's another question and answer session. So when I started podcasting, I saw that people were doing question and answers, and I did one, and it worked out pretty well. It was actually a lot of fun. And so I wanted to do it again now that I've started these groups and I have a more uh, intimate back and forth with actual people instead of just posting things on a page and maybe somebody sees it and somebody doesn't. So anyway, last night I said I would have some time for some podcasts today, and obviously I do. Uh, Ask me some questions. And I expected the usual, you know, what's your favorite band? Why do you like this? Whatever, you know, those kind of things. And of course, that's not exactly what I got. Now, just to let you know, all of my podcasts so far have been without scripts. I may have notes, like I might write down a director's name, especially if it's a foreign director I'm not that familiar with, or some actors, uh, maybe a box office score, things like that. But for the most part, especially when I do reviews and stuff, I'm just talking off the top of my head. I guess I can do that because of all my years in radio, uh, a little bit of acting, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's just the way I think podcasts are more exciting if I'm not here reading a script, if I am just coming up with things. And, and I, every once in a while I record a podcast and I go, man, I left something out, but it was live and it was good and I'm not going to change it. So they're not perfect. If I sat down, wrote out a script, uh, an outline, a timeline, and, and, and made sure it was all right and edited it all together, that's not what you get with me. I hit record, I talk for however long it takes me to talk, and then I turn it off. I put music on the end and the beginning, and I upload it. And that is as much as I do. I'm also talking a lot with my hands, I just noticed. Um, but anyway, that's how I do podcasts so far, because I just think it's... it's it. A, it's good practice for my radio thing, uh, being able to, hey, the song's ending, you have to talk now, now we play commercials, or now we play another song, or whatever. But with the podcast, obviously I could edit this up like people do on YouTube and make it look all slick and short and all that, but no, instead you get stuck on these little babbling rants where I'm trying to explain myself adequately. So anyway, last night on the Rock Files Room group, I asked for questions, and I would give you answers in a podcast this afternoon. Tim Hendricks, bless your heart, completely missed the reference to my cousin Vinny. He asked, what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a four-barrel carburetor? Now, my father was a mechanic in the Air Force, and I helped him rebuild our 1968 Oldsmobile 442 twice. (laughs) Once as a little kid, once as an older kid paying attention in case I ever had to do things like that. And that was immediately what I started thinking about. I wasn't starting thinking of movie references. Later, Tim said I couldn't resist uh, the My Cousin Vinny thing. So I completely spaced on the movie reference, but I actually was going to try and give you a real answer. But anyway, I am not a mechanic, but I can fix things. I can replace things. I can, you know, uh, but I take it to somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, Alan McGregor asks, why do great groups almost always implode? This has actually been a topic of conversation many times in my career and actually of late. The short answer is everybody gets into music because if you've never played music with other humans, you probably aren't going to understand this. But when you're in a band, you're in a group, it's two guys, two girls, you know, if it's a couple people or an entire orchestra, when you start playing a song together and it comes together and you're in the moment together, it, you're in the pocket, as they say about drummers and bass players, you know, you're in the groove. There is this 
feeling that comes over that you're connected with all these other people. Like I said, whether it's a two-man group or a 200-piece symphony orchestra, there is something that happens to humans when they're playing music together that is as good as sex, drugs, and rock and roll, I guess. Um, It is an addictive thing, and that's why a lot of people play music is because when you play music, nothing else feels like it. When you, it doesn't, and that every band, every artist, every group is trying to get to that feeling. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. It depends on the people you're with, the right, you know, it depends on a lot of things. So the question is, why do some groups always implode? I believe that all bands, all artists, all musicians get into music for the right reasons. They love music. They have things they want to say. They have things they want to, sounds they want to get out of their heads. Some of my favorite musicians can't even read music, but they can sit down at a piano and all of a sudden this <laughs> incredible song comes out of them without them even, you know, I, I just, uh, that's talent. That That is creativity. So I think these bands, these artists, especially the quintessential, the ones that last the stand the test of time, at some point, the band, the brand becomes more than the sum of its parts. I am not picking on any band I talk about here, but when a band, say the Eagles, the Eagles broke up in 1980 because of strife, but in their careers, they never released anything really bad. They evolved as a band. They were all studio musicians when they started out. They all played with other people and they got into it to do this California kind of country pop sound with rock music. And they did it very well for a long time. Hotel California was a watershed moment. They came back with The Long Run, which is a strong, strong album. And then because of internal strife, they broke up. They got back years later in the 90s for the money. And at that point, they became a nostalgia band. They did release some new music, but does anybody, you know, does anybody really care about the new stuff? No. The Eagles' Greatest Hits is one of the biggest selling albums of all time for a reason because people love those songs and you take any band that is not putting out new music anymore they become a nostalgia act and that's not a negative but they're only playing older songs for your entertainment and it was something i've quoted in a podcast before that stephen wilson said recently well within the last couple years that there are Artists and entertainers. An entertainer wants to please as many people as possible. Most bands become entertainers because they have to be a slave to that sound that they have created, that they have evolved to a certain point of popularity, and they really don't want it to go away. You know, they, they want to keep living that. And that I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not what I look for in a band, but it's it's something that happens to just about all of them. The bands that don't do that, then are, A, still trying to put out their art, and they evolve, and either the audience stays with them or they don't, but they continue doing what they're doing, and other bands implode. Because it becomes a fight between the members of the band that want to be successful and the members of the band that want to do it for all the reasons why when they started doing it. Make no mistake, music is a business, and you want to become popular enough that your stuff sells. That's, I mean, bottom line, as black and white as bottom line as you want to get it, you want to build up enough of an audience for your music that people will pay to hear it, to buy the merch, whatever, and you have a career. That is how it works, and 
you have to understand that if you're going to get into this because there are long hours and it's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of competition, but those who make it are very successful. So bands that implode, in my opinion, and just based on what I know about some of the most famous bands of all time, there comes a point where the band just can't get past that, that, that we're, we have to be the band. We have to be, you know, bands break up, guys go solo, girls, I, I just use that as, a, you know, artists go solo. Some are very successful, some are not. Some were the talent behind the band, some were not. This all has played out a thousand, a million times in the music industry since its earliest days. I think the bands that implode are the ones that just can't, you know, we can't continue to put out product music on the level that we have in the past, and we don't want to become that nostalgic, we're playing our hits until we're gray and old, you know, just to make money. I think that's why most great bands implode, because they just can't, they're with every band. When I got into high school and college and I was uh, devouring music and I had friends throwing me, you know, the first albums from Adam and the Ants, the first albums from Duran Duran, the early stuff from R.E.M. and U2, all of these bands had fertile, creative careers. And then at some point they got big enough that they had to look at the band objectively, that it's not about our art anymore. It's about supporting this business. It's about keeping this running. And so bands that implode are the ones that just can't do it for whatever reasons. I don't think it's bad to become a nostalgia act. I think if you're, especially if you sound great. I saw Chicago two years ago, do Chicago 2 all the way through with a new singer from Canada who sounded even better than Peter Satira. The band was tight. They had a lot of new members in it, but they were really, really good. It was a nostalgia act to go hear an album that's 50 years old, but it was really an entertaining experience. On the other hand, bands that go out and sit on stools, we're going to play our old songs because you're old and we're old and we all want to, you know. I saw most of those bands in their heyday, and I don't really want to, you know, change that that opinion of them in my mind by going to see them now. But I just went and saw Iron Maiden, you know, a year ago. I saw Judas Priest a year ago. There are old bands I will still go see because they're still putting out new music. They're still, you know arguably creating their art and doing it for all the right reasons. So long story short, bands implode because they just can't last. It 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 is a, a hard career path to choose being a rock star, pop star, rap star, whatever. There is that creative fertile period that gets you noticed and gets you fans, but at some point you get to that point where you're just so big <laughs> that, that you have to look at the bottom line more than the art. And I think a lot of bands just can't get past that. There are other reasons, obviously, drugs, girlfriends, boyfriends, uh, bad managers, bad touring guys. You know, I there are many, many reasons, but overall... Big bands become businesses, and those that are still on the road and still doing it well are highly successful doing that. The ones that don't have a great career behind them and can look back and go, look at our great albums. Sometimes they just can't get along. Look at the whole Pink Floyd thing. Uh, Roger Waters wanted to continue doing concept albums, and this is a very basic thing of what happened, and through making the wall and the final cut, blew the band apart. And David Gilmore and the rest of the band wanted to continue making Pink Floyd music, concept or not, and the music is what was important. And the band broke up. Pink Floyd continued making music. Roger Waters continued making concept albums. 
I'm a fan of the band together, but solo-wise, I'm on the David Gilmore camp because I don't like any of Roger Waters' solo albums. I get them. I mean, I do. Radio Chaos and a couple of pros and cons of Hitchhiking were okay, but it went downhill from there. Amused to Death has its moments, but self-indulgent, not that good as concept albums, not that good musically. I just, Pink Floyd was better in the sum of their parts. I love David Gilmore's solo stuff. Still not as good as Pink Floyd. I would rather listen to a Pink Floyd album, but David Gilmore's solo albums still speak to me, and his solo work still does, and he hasn't really done too much in the whole concept thing. I would have loved to have seen them get back, but now they've been apart longer than they've been together. Why is everybody still talking about it is one of those things, but anyway. Harry Rowe asked, the metal community used to not be so judgmental other than when a band became sellouts. But something changed and many metalheads became snobs about most everything, and particularly all genres of rock music. What happened? (laughs) Short answer to that's the internet. I mean, honestly, there have always been critics. There have always been naysayers. I worked in record stores when I was in college. I worked in the Camelot Music in the mall. I know the snobbery. I know my metal fans and my rock friends and that that if the album cover wasn't right if the band got played too much on the radio I was one of those guys that said they sold out you know and then I got into radio and I realized radio is part of an equation to a band's successful career not all bands need to be played on the radio because radio is a mass appeal thing and music doesn't always have to be that being said everybody who's a fan of something is judgmental about that thing Sports fans, politics fans, you name it, you know, you love your team, you love the team members, you 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 don't want to see anybody overtake them. That's always been a thing in the metal and rock community. Some bands are more talented than others. Well, my band's better than your band. That's always been a thing, but it's always kind of been in the background and not been in the foreground of everybody, everything we see every day. When I started running this Funko group five years ago, I knew what trolls were. I knew what trolling was. I mean, I've been on the internet since there was an internet, so I, I, I do understand where the internet's gone and why some people feel that having no manners and just speaking their minds is, you know, without, without you know, putting it in check. Anyway, I understand those personalities have creeped up. But I was running this group, and in the beginning, it was just the two of us. And this guy, uh, we didn't approve his post or kicked him out or whatever because of a rule. And he went round and round with me for a couple of hours on the rules. And I, uh, I'm a pretty good explan- <laughs> teacher of things. I can explain very well. Uh, can't always talk great. Um, but anyway, I spent two hours of my personal life in the evening talking to this kid who at the end of it said, I was just messing with you. I understood you in the first few seconds. I wanted to waste your time. <laughs> I, that... I don't remember a time in my life when I had two hours to just sit around and screw with somebody. I, I, I don't have that kind of time, so I didn't even think of that. And so we found out very quickly in that group that there are, and you, you see people talk about it all the time, guys in their basements, girls in their basements, on their mom's computer, you know, they say whatever they want, they spew negativity, they spew, trolling is everywhere. And so with the group, we decided to play hardball. You want to troll? Go somewhere else. (laughs) We were not the biggest group in the world at the time. We were like the fifth largest. We are the world's largest now because we don't take it. And I've told people before, Disney, Star Wars, whatever, doesn't ban people for saying negative things or trolling things on their post. They want as many people talking about it to create a hubbub as much as possible. But in our Funko group, we're a buy-sell trade group, and a 
uh, one post that's getting a lot of hubbub, you know, that's getting a lot of trolling, your prices are too high, you're a jerk, you're a flipper, all that kind of stuff, is driving that post to the top of our feed. And people can't, you know, people think that's the going price and that's what the group is all about. And we just wouldn't have that. So I'm starting to do the same thing with my groups and pages. I'm okay with opinions. You don't have to like every band we post. You don't have to like every video. You don't have to like what I say or do. But where are manners and being polite? I'm from the South. I open doors for people. I say please and thank you is just part of my DNA. I wouldn't think to go on somebody and say your band sucks or whatever. I have a big project coming up that I'll be announcing and you'll you'll be very interested some of you will be very interested in. And I'm going to do the same thing with that as we did with the Funko thing because I went in groups for this particular hobby thing that I'm going to do and the groups are terrible. Nobody wants to be in there cuz everybody's oh this sucks and that sucks and I'm never going here again and everything is just bad bad negativity negative there is enough negativity in the world and you have heard with my podcasts I put positive out there. If I don't like a movie, if I don't like an album, I don't talk about it and I don't play it. I take negativity out of the equation. It just doesn't exist. I don't know why people, I'm going to do a long review about something I hated. I don't have that kind of time. I did do a long review on a pillow, though, because I absolutely freaking love the pillow. So, yes, people are still judgmental about metal and, and rock, but you see it more and you hear it more because of social media. You have friends that have no problems talking about their opinions, like me. The difference is I've been in the media for 35 years. I took news and, and broadcast in college and know that there's certain words you don't say, there's certain ways you don't speak, there's certain opinions you don't get into because it's just not what we do. It's, it's not polite. And if I want hundreds or thousands of people to listen to my podcast, there is a certain way I'm going to speak. So we learned all that. Somebody on the internet doesn't have 35 years of talking to people as a career. <laughs> they have opinions and they think you need to hear them. But know that not every opinion is informed. I look everything up that I post. I And sometimes I get it wrong and I pull it down or I apologize. Um, everything I talk about, I've done research about it or I'm talking about things. I've been in the radio industry since 1985, professionally paid to be in the radio industry since 1985. I have a lot of experience. Sorry, I hit the microphone. And so I have seen... I think it's the same number of people who are opinionated. When I go to a show and I'm wearing a Rockfile radio shirt and I'm talking to people at the show about this band, um, sure, other opinions come up. And the biggest question I've got in my entire career is, why don't you play this? It is always a band or a song that my radio stations don't play that someone wants to. But in person, people are polite about it. Well, why don't you guys play this? Well, it doesn't really fit what we do, and let me explain why. Boom. That's simple. That's, that is how humans work. That is conversation. But we're all on Twitter. We're all on Facebook. We're all in Instagram, and we're seeing unfiltered opinions from people. And I'm sorry, not everybody's opinion means something. And it's not because you don't count, but like if we're talking about something serious in the music industry, and you've never worked in the music industry, but you bought a few albums and you think they suck— that doesn't really help the conversation, in my opinion. So everything with a grain of salt, everything I look to where it comes from. 
And so what happened to all these people being opinionated? They all got social media and they feel their opinion counts. I have gotten so many friend requests. I have a lot of band friends, guys I've interviewed, girls I've interviewed, people I've met on the road, through the radio industry, through mutual friends. And then I have their fans adding me. And these people I see in my feed and all of a sudden they're talking about this band's better than this and this band's better than that. But I go look and they're you know, they're a plumber, they're an air conditioning guy, they're a, they work at a restaurant. They, you know, it's great to be a fan and have an opinion. There's nothing against that. And there are all sorts of fan pages. But when we're talking about music and, and you want somebody to take you seriously, be polite, be smart about it and, and have a reason why this band is better. Why I will say this band is more talented than this one, because they can play things that this other band can't play. They, these guys went to a, you know, music school and have degrees and teach music. These guys are a garage band. You know, take everything as it's given to you. I play independent bands that didn't have millions of dollars to spend, but they sound great. The guys are played. They've got chops. You know, they, they're good musicians. The songwriting is great. The production is great. Fits on the radio. It is my job to have an opinion about songs that cross my desk. Always has been. Top 40, country, R&B. Because I played trumpet, because I was in jazz band and symphonic band, because I can read music, I think I'm better at having an opinion about radio songs because I know what's crap and what's not. Most people just have opinions, and the radio or the social media has given them the forum to speak those things. And that's what's changed. I, I think people have always been, you know, uh, negative on a band that became popular all of a sudden, but why did everybody pick on Nickelback for so long? Well, Nickelback was one of those bands that was very successful. I met them when they first came out. Great guys, nice guys, drove Ryan back to his hotel, had some interesting conversations with these guys really, but they got to a point where they were so big that they repeated an album. It's like Def Leppard did with, you know, Pyromania was a hit. Hysteria was through the roof. Adrenalized was Hysteria Part 2. <laughs> same thing with Nickelback. They got to a point and then they just kind of... And uh, same thing with a lot of bands that get picked on. They get to a point and then that album, they try and recreate that sound. And that's not moving forward. And bands are, you know, that goes back to the earlier conversation about groups imploding. But fans are hip to that. And... It's been a long battle with consultants and vice presidents in the radio industry because I've always been that fan. I was always the guy that watched MTV. I was always the, the radio guy that listened to the radio. And I'm always a fan and talk to fans at shows. And so for me, it was always more of a professional evaluation of things. And so I was always kind to people when they said, well, why don't you play this band or why don't you like this band? And the internet has removed that from speech. and But I guarantee you that 99% of those trolls that you see on talking shit about whatever band or, or, or trolling you or whatever, guarantee you meet them in person, they're not going to talk that way. And I'm sorry, I don't say anything on the internet or in these podcasts I wouldn't say to your face. So that's how I do what I do. And I, I don't think there's any more people, although granted, there are more people on the planet now. There are a couple more billion people on the planet than when I was born. And more people, more people on social media. There's two billion people on Facebook. You're going to run into people that want to wave their opinion in your face. <laughs> and we all know the joke about waving things in your face. So Teresa Burton asked, so what made you want to do radio? And I said, very good question. I... 
Okay, short version. I had an uncle that was in talk radio. I went to visit his radio station one time as a kid. Didn't have any effect on me at all. We basically sat in one of those rooms that you see on TV that's a table with microphones around it, but there's no control board. They, somebody else is running it, and they just sit in there and talk. That was basically going to somebody's conference room, and even as a kid, didn't, didn't hit me that it was a radio station. My uncle worked at a talk radio station. Later, I got my first cassette deck. This was in the mid-70s. And instead of buying pre-recorded music, I was given things like Seals and Croft's Greatest Hits and things like that. Um, I would buy blank tapes and I would record songs off the radio. A little bit of background. My father was in the Air Force and he was stationed in Minot, North Dakota. And he bought this nice Roberts reel-to-reel tape recorder machine that you used to see in radio stations and he would record songs off the radio and edit all the stuff out so you would just hear the song and then make his own mixtapes this was in the 60s he was doing that on reel-to-reel tapes and I still have those tapes and that recorder actually in storage so I was doing the same thing in the 70s I was taking a blank tape I'd record a song then I'd record me talking between it talking something about the song and then I'd play the other song I was getting this from listening to F- early FM radio I was a big fan of 96 Rock in Atlanta 94Q in Atlanta Z93 um, these stations changed format later but at the time they were pop and rock and the jocks were good and Atlanta being a big contemporary market always had great talent and I learned you know I I would have never, well, I would have eventually through friends, but I wouldn't have heard Iron Maiden or Queensryche in the early 80s unless 96 Rock played them after midnight on the radio. So listening to the radio and and making my own tapes for people, when it was time to go to college, (laughs) I had been a musician, you know, for, what, seven years, middle school and high school. I was a trumpet player. I was first chair. I was president of the band and kind of, you know, okay. I don't really want to be a band teacher going forward. So I wasn't going to take music in college because, well, I saw what my band directors went through. It's a wonderful thing if you have the calling to be a band director. And some of my friends and fraternity brothers are band directors now. And I love you and God bless you. And, and, and wow, um, I, I just I don't think I could have done it. I Looking back, I probably could have. I'm a pretty good teacher. But so I was thinking of what to do. And at the time, MTV was brand new. I mean, MTV was in its heyday and, and it was pulling more album sales than radio was at the time. And I was thinking of doing something like MTV. I thought that was the future. So when I left for college in 84, um, I went as far away in the state of Georgia as I could get from home, you know, but I wanted to stay within the state. So my parents, my parents were paying for my college. I didn't want to, you know, break them by leaving the state. So Valdosta, Georgia is on the Florida border and it is several hours away from Atlanta so that nobody could just pop in and I could start kind of a new life. I was 17, 18 years old. What did I know about starting a new life? But they had a radio station. They had a TV station. I knew I could get on it immediately. Had I gone to Georgia Tech or Georgia, I would have been on waiting list for a year or two. And I wanted, I, I honestly thought MTV was going to spur other video music channels and there would be a place for VJs. There would be a place for someone who knew a lot about music as I did already (laughs) and could also do that kind of radio thing, but I didn't know. So I started the, it was called radio and TV practicum, I think a beginning, then it was called broadcast, then it was called mixed media. I mean, my college couldn't decide on what they were going to call the degree, but 
it gave me a course selection where I could get into radio and TV, even take a little music, stay in band, do some science. You know, I, I philosophy and uh, astronomy were my minors. I was obviously looking for my place in the universe, but I wanted to stay with music. I wanted to stay with broadcast. I wanted to learn radio and TV. Quickly learned that TV is not really my thing. I get it. I'm, I I like YouTube a lot now, but TV has a different set of rules, and the, the some of the rules and the lack of freedom, I just didn't see that. Once I got into it, I didn't see MTV being something that would last much longer, and I guess I was way ahead of the time at the time. Um, so... My freshman year, I was on the radio station, and I started by the end of my first quarter, I got my FCC license, was actually able to do an air shift without anybody sitting in there with me. Uh, and that was like January of 1985, by the time the first quarter was over, and we came back from Christmas. And I started doing college radio because I liked it. At that point, it wasn't really, I want a radio career. I didn't even know what was involved in having a radio career. I knew I listened to the radio. I know that people like to hear me talk. When I was an actor, I did some oral interpretation for the debate team, reading stories out loud, won some awards. So I knew that, you know, my speaking voice was pretty good and people like listening to me talk. So let me try this radio thing. And honestly, through college, I'm... I took honors philosophy. That wasn't easy. I'm telling you, astronomy is not easy. <laughs> so I'm trying to do that, trying to do band, trying to have a social life, trying to be in a fraternity, and trying to do this radio thing. And after a year and a half on the college radio station, one of my mutual friends said, I'm working at the top 40 station in town, and we need people. Do you want to come apply? And I thought, wait, I had worked up to music director. I think we got paid $25 a month to be a college radio music director at the time. And I was like, you'll pay me like a salary to talk on the radio. Yeah, we're looking for some part-timers and maybe a night guy. Well, I wasn't a huge fan of, well, I was a huge fan of all music and I had Prince albums and Michael Jackson albums. So, you know, I was, my college station was primarily rock and alternative, but uh, sure, I'll, I'll work at the top 40 station. And that was it that that right there to answer your question the long way around that's why i do radio doing the college radio thing i liked it people called in made requests i played it they called back and said thank you we were right across the street from a, a girl's dormitory and in valdosta georgia it's summer almost year round girls would lay out on their blankets you know we disc jockeys would wear sunglasses for the view you know um and it was a great experience but i hadn't really thought of it as Really? So when I got into a radio station and saw all the pieces, parts that go together, that they're all the different departments and whatever, and I, I was talking to a guy, our morning guy had actually been in the radio business a long time. He said, learn as much as you can, be a jack of all trades. Also at the time, my station, the Top 40 station, was doing a 50,000 watt upgrade so they could cover all of South Georgia and North Florida. And they were already the number one hit music station, but they were going to just... And so I got to know our engineer, Robert, very well. And since I was working nights and stuff, he would come in at the end of my shift and say, I'm going to take the station off at midnight. I'm going to put on this fully digital Dire Straits album and I'm going to tweak the sound of the station. I went up on a giant tower, you know, I saw new transmitters being put in and how they were tuned and how that new automation systems, new CD players, new cart decks, new, I learned the whole business through this upgrade. And within six months, I was just all of a sudden, I'm a radio guy. <laughs> I had dreams of going to New York or LA and working at those big stations. Another, that's, so that answers your question why I got into radio. 
my career changed as I went because going to the big markets wasn't what I was looking for. And these days, I want to do it still for the right reasons. I do other things to make money. Uh, I have a shop. I have other groups. I have a big project coming, these podcasts, that kind of thing. But I really like radio. And as I said in the group, you know, the more radio stations go to nostalgia, I think there's a need for these new rock stations to introduce artists. So getting down, Tim Hendricks said, got to know why genres of music have a shelf life. You can see a beginning and end to nearly all of them. Motown, disco, punk, metal, southern rock and grunge. So tell me why rap has stayed around so long. I'm not getting it. Um, I was somebody who was doing a lot of roller skating there in the late 70s. So I heard those early rap songs. A rapper's delight and stuff. Um, rap changed. Um, I was a big fan of R&B. Like I said, Prince and Michael Jackson are two of my favorite artists of all time. I loved George Benson, Luther Vandross. Uh, I loved guys that were doing different things with pop and jazz and pulling pop into jazz and pulling rock into pop and uh, true artists of the genre. And in the beginning, rap music was added to R&B and pop music to give it a hipper flavor. And there were rap songs that, that people, I mean, no offense to real, I know now what real rap is. But, you know, at the time, being a radio guy, we looked at rap as something the kids listened to. And if your station was aiming towards teenagers, you played rap, but, you know, otherwise not. My personal opinion is there is good rap and there are talented rappers. Rhyming is not the easiest thing in the world and doing it on the beat to music is a talent. It didn't take watching 8 Mile for me to realize that as much as I don't like his voice, Eminem is pretty good at what he freaking does. Rap is not my favorite thing. I totally get it, but it's just... For most modern rap songs, a beat and the lyrics are all you need. And for a musician like myself, that's not enough to call it a song. So why is rap still around? Rap is still around because rap has evolved and changed. There is some light rap that gets in pop songs and, and even rock songs. There is some hardcore rap that never gets on the radio. There's street rap. There's, you know, there, there are multiple genres of rap, like there are multi, multiple genres of every kind of music, rock, metal. How many different types of metal are there? And that's like saying, why is metal stayed around? Because I didn't get it. Well, there's all different kinds of metal. I don't like black death metal. That's nothing but growls. But I can listen to some scar symmetry because there's some melodic stuff in there. I like progressive metal because it's complicated, but it's also melodic and nobody's, you know, growling in my face. Look, I, I was a trumpet player. I know there's time for harsh notes and harsh things, but if you're a 100% harsh band, I get bored with it. It's not that I consider you bad or unworthy. It's just that I need some variety in my life. And my favorite artists are the ones who surprise me every album, who surprise me every song, who surprise me in a song. If I don't know where you're going when this song starts, that's, you know, that's why I do what I do, why I listen to what I do, but I also understand the mainstream. And the mainstream has to evolve. Thing, music has evolved since there has been music. Rap is now a part of the colors of the palette of music. You can avoid it. You can avoid any kind of music. I'm not really a country fan, and I don't have any country in my diet unless I want to pull out a Lyle Lovett album. I don't listen to country radio stations. I, you know, I don't. So if I'm not a rap fan, I don't listen to rap stations. I don't listen to rap music. I don't have rap music on my, in my car system, that kind of thing. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I, I'm a huge 
huge fan of jazz and classical. I can't stand opera. I, you know, I get it. I understand it, but I'm not an opera fan, but I, I don't listen to opera. And why has it been around for five, six, seven, eight hundred years or longer? So anyway, rap is an acquired taste like beer is, like certain music is, you know, it's, there's good rap and bad rap. And all, if all you hear is popular rap or, or, or bad rap, you're not going to like rap. But it's the same thing with metal. It's the same thing with country. It's the same thing with pop. There's good pop and there's bad pop. There's good metal and there's bad metal. You know, every genre has its own. And if you don't like a couple of those genres, that's fine. Because the rainbow of colors in the music spectrum are infinite. And we keep finding new little, little niches to stick another category in there. So, dude, rap is not made for you and I. There's some of it I can appreciate because it's talented, because it's well-written, because it's musical, but a lot of it I don't get either. But again, I don't get opera. I don't get certain pop songs. You know, I don't get robo-vocals. Why are they so prevalent these days? Why can young people listen to a song where it doesn't sound like it's human? I want to hear someone, you know, is he going to hit that note? Is she going to hit that note? I don't want to, you know, it just sounds like a computer, like I'm hitting notes on a keyboard and there's nothing wrong with keyboards, but, you know, my favorite genres of music have a bunch of sweaty people on stage trying to play their song for you. I love that. If you have a turntable in front of you and a keyboard and and, and you're just playing samples and pre-recorded things, that's not what I'm into music for, but I appreciate that as music. If I want to go to a dance club, that's exactly what I want to hear. You know what I mean? So everything has a time and a place in my music repertoire. I have over 15,000 CDs so that I literally can, any mood that strikes me, I can satisfy. And I have the Colors soundtrack, that movie back from early 90s. And that's a good rap soundtrack. I'll pull that thing out. You know, every once in a while, it fits what I'm in the mood for. But anyway, genres stay around. They usually don't go away. Some things do because, I don't know, because people don't like harmonicas as much as they did in the 60s, and you don't hear a harmonica in a song so much these days. But specific genres pretty much don't go away, but you learn ways to filter them out of your listening experience. My buddy Ira New, a fraternity brother, drums or flats, ranch or blue cheese? I'm a huge chicken fan. I'm a huge wing fan. I'm not the biggest saucy fan. Uh, that being said... I like, if I like spicy wings, I like it baked into the wing so much or the sauce kind of baked onto it. I don't like wings that were just fried and then you just threw a bunch of sauce on it. That's not my cup of tea. I don't use ranch or blue cheese, but I will use the celery and something to drink. Um, but as far as flats or drums, I like them both. As a kid, I ate drumsticks, so I gravitate towards drumsticks, but flats are good too. And if I eat regular chicken, I'm, I'm breasts now because that's just more meat. <laughs> but anyway, that's a good one. I don't eat a lot of wings and I don't eat a lot of fried stuff, but here in Florida, Publix can kill some chicken, buddy, and, and I like their wings quite a bit. Henry Iyer, another longtime friend of mine from high school, asked, uh, I think we knew each other in middle school, actually. If Van Halen thought Michael Anthony was so bad, as rumors suggest, why did they keep him around so long? I don't know that they always thought he was so bad, but again, we go back to one of those or two of those earlier questions. At some points, bands become bigger than the sum of their parts. Nobody likes it when somebody leaves a band, but if you've ever been in a band, tensions run high. You're passionate about the music and you're passionate about what you do. And sometimes there's fighting going on. And so I'm sure because Van Halen were pretty much professional when they came out, they had been in other bands. They knew what they were doing. 
they put together a party band that played great songs. The songwriting was good. At some point, even if you don't like your bass player, you don't want to get rid of your bass player because everybody's used to seeing him or her or whatever. Uh, fans don't like it when people leave, especially main people. When you're a four-piece band, all four people are pretty main. If you're three, it's like nobody could have ever left Rush. John Rutsey left, and he kind of, you know, for health reasons and whatever, you know, bless him, no problems there. But anybody ever heard of John Rutsey, unless you're a Rush fan, wondering who that guy was on the first album that wasn't Neil? Um, if you're a fan of a band, you just don't want to see people leave. And I'm sure that's in the Van Halen brothers and everything they do. You know, they had no choice with David Lee Roth, I assume. I, I really don't know what predicated that. I'm sure it was more David, I want to be David Lee Roth. Um, it's funny, I rewatched Weird Science this week, and that came out at a time when that was fluid. The soundtrack in the movie, and I think this was changed from what I've seen over the years, uh, at the beginning when they're putting the items in to make the girl, there's DJ Dave. <laughs> from MTV, right here on Dave TV. Later in the movie, they play Pretty Woman, a cover from a previous Van Halen album. Um, so that was, uh, that was an interesting little tidbit. So I think, you know, when they replaced David Lee Roth with Sammy Hagar, that was inspired. Sammy Hagar was a great 70s and early 80s rock talent. He had been in Montrose. He's a great guitar player. He's a great songwriter, a great singer, and a great frontman. And it did change the band. Granted, they became more successful. They became more popular. I'm still a fan of the first four albums. Those are the ones I go to always. But every once in a while, I pull something else out. And they weren't given much of a choice. You know, they had to do what they had to do. It was time for Van Halen Mark II. They made the best of it, and they did very well. But again, Van Halen became one of those bands where they tried to recreate their stuff. At some point, they just started making the same album over and over. When Sammy, when they separated for whatever reasons they did, and I won't pretend that I know the real reasons why they broke up, they brought Gary Sharon in, and I saw that tour, and I'm a big fan of Extreme. I thought that they didn't let Gary Sharon be Gary Sharon. I thought they made him a Van Halen lead singer, which was a detriment to him and the band, and he only lasted one song, one album and one tour, and that was that. And so when they got back together, when a band gets back together after so many years and there's so much music and so much legal stuff behind them, they can say whatever they want, but it's just not easy. You know, they'll say, uh, you know, we just didn't get along or we did or whatever. But there's a lot of money and a lot of legal stuff involved. And I just don't think that it was easy to bring Michael Anthony back to the band. He's in other bands with Sammy Hagar now. You know, <laughs> sure, they're going to say, well, he just wasn't that good. We, we, you know, really? So Wolfgang is that good? That was the best bass player they could pick on the planet? No, they picked a son that hopefully maybe he would carry on the Van Halen name. I I wasn't stupid when they did this. I know what, you know, two Van Halen brothers, they have a Van Halen son. Let's put him in the band. <laughs> Made sense to me, but it wasn't anything I wanted to go see. David Lee Roth was way past his prime. They weren't the original members. I love Eddie Van Halen. I've met him several times. He's a really nice guy, but I didn't go see their reunion tours because it's just not what I wanted to see. Nothing against them. I hope they made money. I hope it did well. Unfortunately, it kind of, you know, the whole thing kind of imploded. But anyway, I don't know if they really thought he was that bad, Henry, or they just needed a change. Um, it was a legal thing. It was a financial thing. I don't know. I would love to see the whole band get back together and be great, but they kind of did that and it wasn't that great. And I'm, I'm good with my my memories and my, my previous Van Halen albums. I, I think it's a deeper question when, when a, a member leaves a band. It can't be easy. You know, a lot of guys go, I'm going to be more successful when I leave and they disappear. Um, 
Monkey from Corn got this religious thing up his butt. He left Corn because he didn't like what they were doing and he went and found religion. A few years later, he's back in Corn and trying to teach them religion because honestly, his solo career went nowhere. That's a whole different thing. The Roger Waters Pink Floyd thing, that's a whole other thing. I think the Van Halen thing was a business decision, bottom line. And I think, I think bands, let's talk about uh, briefly Trapped. I think bands have started talking shit to go back to one of those other questions on social media to get fans. The lead singer of Trapped, if you didn't follow the story a few months ago, started just talking about controversial stuff and pissing off his fans. And he was quoted in an interview as saying, you know why I do that? Because more bars book us to play because more people come to see us to see what I'm going to be like that night. And I'm sorry, that is the wrong reason to do what you're doing. <laughs> if those are your real opinions and you, and you want to use your band as a platform, great. But I think that's a shitty thing to do for the rest of your band. And if that's what you're doing to try and become something because you haven't had a hit in more than a decade... I just think, dude, everybody saw through it and you were just being a douchebag. <laughs> I like bands that are real on social media. I like bands who talk to the fans, who do right by the fans, who don't overcharge, who will reach out to you, who will make it good, who will come back and do shows. You know, it's easy to me to see the bands who are working their social media and bands that are using their social media to make money. There's a complete difference. And if you're professionally using your, your profile to spread your works and sell your merch, I, I am right there. Ask Vio. Here, Vio's an up-and-coming band. They've released two albums. They were doing a special online. Get our latest album autograph. Just pay the shipping. Well, I could have asked the record label for the album. I had a couple singles, but I was like, you know what? I'll pay the shipping and I'll get the autograph album. And when you're on their site, they did a little thing where, well, that's $5, but do you want this? And do you want this? So I bought a t-shirt and three CDs from this band for $30 and it got to me a week later. I have no problems, <laughs> promotions, working your band sites, all that kind of stuff, but don't do the stunt stuff. Don't do the Fox News. Fox News does not believe what they're talking, people. And this will be a whole nother podcast. But Rupert Murdoch decided that he would sell the news, that he would tell the people, the jocks, as I call them, what they would talk about today. And that's what they've done since day one. And they say things to irritate people. They say things to drive. Our president says things to drive you crazy to get the press on it. He doesn't believe what he's saying. He doesn't care what he's saying. But people will talk about it for a few days. He will get more press than anybody else. And that's the end of it. Anyway, no politics here. Carrie Lee Rogers said, I'm not really sure how to phrase this. Music delivery has gone through just radio to video to pods to internet to individual services like Pandora and Spotify. What advances? And if you want to call that, what do you see next? Well, I watched a video on the Neuralink <laughs> that they're working on that they will put music in your head by connecting it. I don't know if they're going to put a chip in your head or whatever, but it could be interesting. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know, because some of the streaming services are not doing a job in paying the artist or promoting them. I mean, artists have to get a 1,000 spins to make a dollar, you know? And it's like in radio, 
in FM radio stations and internet radio stations, we have to pay based on how many people are listening when we play a song. And we pay this this monetary value quarterly and yearly to ASCAP and BMI who, who disseminates that money to the artists who deserve it. And obviously, we want to support artists, and that's why I built the radio stations I built. I am not so much trying to make money off them as I am trying to get their music out there to people. So I don't know what's coming next as far as streaming stuff. I mean, I don't know that all of these streaming services are going to last, but I think radio and things like that are moving into a streaming, you know, service. When I left FM radio, a lot of most FM radio stations had an online stream, but nobody was streaming in their cars very much at the time. And it was an afterthought to most radio people that just put on our stream, we'll play different commercials over there because not as many people are listening. Fast forward years later, and I say I'm leaving FM, I'm going to put on streaming radio stations. Spotify was brand new at the time. It had just come to the United States a year before, not even a year before. It didn't have a big user base. And I had to put my two stations on other services that were basically internet radio playgrounds where you could go and you could search for rock stations and I would come up in there. You'd search for prog stations. I would come up in there and you would find the stations you'd like and you would save them and you would listen to those radio stations. And they were free to listen to and it was free. It was a free service. But at some point during this, FCC changed how artists get paid and how royalties get paid and all that. And the big services went out of business because they couldn't afford to do it on the current business model. And things have fortunately changed a little bit since then. But I survived because I was small enough that I could still pay the royalties and stuff for what I do here. So that was a big change. In, and so then you saw Spotify and Pandora, and Pandora had been around longer than that. They're basically, those services are not radio stations. They're not programmed like radio stations. They're more like computer systems that play with algorithms. It's kind of like putting your iTunes on shuffle. It's not, you don't have a human behind it who's curating the artists, the years, the sound codes, not having two alternative sounding songs play back to back, not having two, you know, these kind of sounds back to back. You know, there is a lot of psychology that goes into what a radio program director and music director does to the sound of the radio station. The way we put the music together, the way it goes to stop sets, all that stuff is part of what goes into creating a listenable radio station, something that you want to tune into every day and go, I really like listening to this because I find out new music or it's the music I love or what for whatever reason that you listen to that radio station. But FM is still, most FM stations are still thinking that I have to super serve my FM market, this market that my FM radio stations are in. And I think that's antiquated because everybody is streaming now. You know, I, I saw this coming eight years ago, and I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert, but I, or I wasn't then, but I kind of am now. And now people don't have to ask me how to listen to my radio stations in their car. They just do it, or they ask Alexa, or, you know, it is much easier now to hear the radio stations. You can stream directly from my websites. I'm on a couple of free apps around the world. I'm on TuneIn, which is also a free app and site. You can pull it up. You can save it as a favorite. You can listen to it. doesn't cost you a thing. There's no commercials on it. It's just music showcases. That is what I see the future as being. This is how we discovered music back in the day. This is how we discovered artists through MTV, through radio stations and whatever. And people are getting away with that 
they think on Spotify and Pandora you're discovering artists, but most people gravitate to the nostalgia state. I want to listen to an 80 station. I want to listen to a 90 station. I want to listen to an early 2000 station. That I don't want to listen to the new music station where it's a bunch of unfamiliar stuff. When we were younger, we did the work to find the artists we like. But as you're older, you've got other things that take up your time and you're not going to spend the time on that. That's just the facts. I fortunately found a career where I do spend time on that, and that's what I do. <laughs> but I'm unique and rare in the world, and I'm very fortunate that I still treat music like I always have. I love music. I have a, a, a an unquenchable thirst for music. Please send me more music, and, and I will evaluate what fits my radio stations and put them on there. If it doesn't fit this current radio station, I honestly put it into a folder for something I'm going to do later. Currently talking to a couple of friends of mine about adding two more radio stations to Rockfile Radio, and you're hearing about it first. We tried this a few years ago and didn't have the audience to do it. I think we do now. I want to add a metal station that's pure metal, and I want to add a classic rock station that's pure classic rock. No BS, no classic hits. I want a real classic rock station that plays deep cuts and all your favorite music, and I want a metal station that doesn't have to cater to playlists and media that can play real metal music. And Ice and Fire will still stay what they are and will continue to evolve as they are, but... I think it's time that we broaden this puppy. And honestly, until we're able to listen to music in our heads, people are listening on their phones. I would really wish people would stop listening on their phones. Get some good headphones. Get a nice dongle. Get a good outboard DAC we could talk about. But don't listen to crappy music if you don't have to. My radio station stream MP3s. It's cost effective, but with the processing and stuff, they sound really good, and I don't have them crunched up. It sounds pretty close to CD quality. I think those kind of experiences going forward will replace. A curated experience is more entertaining to an intelligent person than a playlist on Shuffle. And things like Shopify or Spotify and um, my shop's on Shopify and I've been talking about that lately, so sorry. Things like Spotify and Pandora are basically shuffle services, uh, basically computer algorithms. That's not the same thing as a radio station that's programmed by a guy who loves the music. And so I think in the future, you will see more curated playlists and less automated playlists. I think that's where we're headed. How you get it, that will change. CDs and hard media are going away. People want streaming, but now that we're all streaming, people want quality, and there's things like Tidal to get high-end. I download high-end files. If I get an album from a record label and they can't send me like the WAV files, they send me like low-res MP3s, I will go to like HD tracks and download high-resolution tracks and pay for it because I want the best listening experience. I have very nice speakers on my PC as my monitors. I have a very nice sound system connected to my home theater. I don't want to listen to cheese music I want it to sound good so what's coming next people still have a hunger to hear new things you will get tired of listening to the same thing over and over this has been proven time and time again but people also want to be entertained and I think a curated experience is more entertaining so I think how we listen will change whether that's a neural link or some other kind of digital file that allows for lossless but on the flip side I think we're going to get away from these automated things and does it look like you've gained weight? I can't tell by the cute picture, your profile picture, but send me a couple new pictures and we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> My buddy, uh, Captain Steve Porch, 
uh, added on to this particular question and said, I would follow on this with a question from a slightly different approach. What are your thoughts on the effects these changes bring to the music industry itself? Album sales versus revenue from streaming and purchase of cherry-picked single songs versus purchase of entire albums, etc. Kind of touched on that a little bit, but yes, it has changed everything radically, and the bands who have been able to keep up with that have kept up with that. Like, people don't buy music anymore. I started selling music in my shop, and people buy more movies. I sold a few things, but they were all special editions or vinyl or whatever. People aren't just buying regular CDs anymore because they can hear it on Spotify or they can download it from iTunes or whatever. This change, and so bands have to change. And the bands that are doing these listening parties, the bands that are doing merch and vinyl and things like that, that's how it's changed. Artists have had to find other ways to make music to keep making their music. Other ways to make money to keep making their music. It has changed the financial aspect of the music industry more than anything else. I've seen some bands get away from releasing albums, and I get that. Um, there are people that are fans of singles, and I'm a fan. I'm a radio guy. Of course, I'm a fan of singles. But in my personal listening, I don't listen to singles at all. I listen to albums. I a mood is usually I'm going to listen to this album. Every once in a while, I make a playlist and I put this on. Like in my car, I listen to singles because I have put about 2,500 songs on a flash drive and I just let it roll. And if a song comes up I don't like, I skip it. So I'm doing the same thing that, that, that Spotify and Pandora people are doing with my own music. But I still love an album and I think it takes a lot of chutzpah. I think it takes a lot of talent. I think it takes a lot of time and thought to put together a cohesive album. Whether it's just a collection of songs or a concept album, I think putting out an album is still uh, something to be achieved. I think it's an accolade uh, that, a, that a band needs to work towards. On the flip side, writing a great song is not easy. Geddy Lee has the famous quote, it's, it's harder to write a four-minute hit song that people clap their hands and sing along to than it is writing a 12-minute prog epic. It is easy to sit down and write a long-winded story. It is easy to write long-winded comedy. But the nature of comedy is brevity, my friends, and the nature of most things in short attention spanville that we live in these days is brevity. And so people don't want albums, they want songs. So I think bands always focused on writing good songs and an album was a collection of songs. I don't think that as in their minds has changed so much. But as far as the industry goes, people hear a good song, they want it. They don't go, what's the rest of the album sound like? I do, and a lot of my friends do, but most people don't. So that's what's changed the financial end. Beth, what modern day country was formerly known as the Republic of Upper Volta and why did they change their name? I am not going to pull up Google Google and look this up. I'm a big fan of the Mars Volta, and maybe they had to change their name because of the band. I don't know. Beth also asked, are children who act in R-rated movies allowed to watch the film when it's done? I have understood no. Um, in the early days when I first knew that this was a thing, was the Brooke Shields in Pretty Baby. She was not old enough to be in that movie, and it was a pretty raunchy movie. Um, she was not allowed to watch that movie. I think most child actors that are in R-rated movies are not allowed to watch them, but it depends on their parents and it depends on the movie. If it's just language or whatever, it's probably more than something that's violent or sexual. But is there a rule to that? You'd have to ask somebody in Hollywood. I don't know. Beth also asked, can atheists get insurance for act of God? Well, last time I got insurance, they didn't ask me what my religion was, so I would say yes. <laughs> but do... <laughs> That gets into a whole other thing. Um, 
acts of God is is a term that is in insurance terminology to be legal to cover other things. But I think it's a great question. And these were all funny questions. And if they were in my wheelhouse, I would have serious answers for you. But no. Anyway. So that covered the basic Q&A, and we're right at an hour. I'm sorry this took so long, but that's what you get for asking me questions and me giving you answers. It was off the cuff. It's unedited. I'm going to hit stop and put some music on it. I'm Scott Hamilton. I'm Rockfile. Thank you for the questions. We will definitely do this again. I will be posting this shortly, so get ready for it. I hope you enjoy it. It's long. I apologize for that. Please subscribe to the other podcasts. Check out the Patreon page. You can get some goodies for supporting these podcasts. I have major things coming down the line please subscribe you don't want to miss them i'm telling you really i can't talk about it any more than i've talked about it with the people that are working on it i'm just really excited anyway we'll talk more about that i'm almost at 60 minutes here we go kids i was trying to fill it out all the way but the music will do that i'm scott hamilton thank you so much for listening really really